Caught Offside with Andrew Gundling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, oh, yes. Yes! Oh, yes! Caught Offside, Andrew Gundling, and a very, very justifiably giddy J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? Oh, my God, Andrew. What's up? Liverpool are champions of England once again. 30 years. I am like Jurgen Klopp. I don't have the words. I, I, I don't have the words. It's so unbelievable. It was a night where, I, you know, j- just go to the Chelsea City game for a second. Let's, let's start there. It's not that I didn't think Chelsea could, could land a mortal blow to City or they, that they couldn't beat them. I just wasn't emotionally ready for it to happen. And then in the last 10 minutes, as the dawning realization after the, the Willian penalty kick that this is happening, so many things came flooding into my mind. So many thoughts, so many memories of the, of the past 30 years. Um, and the realization that I'm old. I remember the vast majority of those years since the last title. I remember them well. And I uh I cry laughed. So I can get I can play the audio right now if you'd like. Yeah, what does exactly. that what does that mean exactly? Well, so my uh, uh, you know, it's the ninety 95th, 96th minute, and I realize it's happening. It, it's going to be confirmed tonight. And I'm just staring at the TV and I start to feel like a lot of emotion welling up. And and I knew I was just going to scream at the full-time whistle. What I didn't realize was my girlfriend was recording me. And uh, and this is this is kind of, I hope pe- people can hear it okay. It's the one night we should be in the studio for imaging. And I, for was gonna, gr- I was going to say to you, I like obviously all of this has been tough to not have been in the same studio doing this together. But this is the, like, not even for the imaging. I want to hug you. I know this is like the, for you, this is the culmination of a life. You know, what, what, what is your life worth after this? Now you're, this is is your moment. How many times have I bored people on the podcast by saying the league, the league, the league. When someone texts in and goes, which would you prefer this year? The champions league or the FA cup or the what? The league, the league, the league. But, but here's how it sounded anyway. And uh, you can hear the mellifluous tones of Arlo white in the background. You caught the end of the cry laugh there. <laughs> it's the no, weirdest thing. Fun. I found it so funny and yet so like overwhelming. And um, and then I called my dad, who um, I, I'm sure people who've listened to the podcast regularly realize he 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 became a soccer fan in his retirement years. Um, I mean, he's been retired almost twenty years now, and um, and so he became this obsessive Liverpool fan. And it's this great thing that we shared. And me and him are talking and we're sharing. And I can see his eyes go to the screen in the room that he's that we're FaceTime talking on. And, and he's just focused on what's happening on Sky Sports. And then he asked me, oh, oh do you want to go? No, you want to go. He and, rushed and I, you off the phone. He rushed me off the phone. He, and, and I don't blame him because it was that kind of night where you just wanted to drink it all in. Absolutely incredible, Andrew. I would say, though, that that ranks high 
on the list of bad moments in father-son history. How about drinking it in with your son, for goodness sakes? I need to have a talk with him. That That is troubling. I do think there was a little bit of sadness. Um, I was supposed to be home the weekend of the Liverpool-Chelsea game. And uh, that that was probably going to be the confirming game for Liverpool. And the trophy would have been lifted. And we were going to watch that game together. And um, that didn't happen because of COVID-19. So I think he was a little bit, this is great and everything, but you're not here. Um, and that was, I think that was a little bit part of it. Uh, I rang my friend, um, my friend Cormac then, who was a, we went to university together and a huge, an unbelievable football brain and a huge Liverpool fan. And, um, just to see his face, he's one of those friends you have whose face is frozen in time. He grows not old. He is like a hobbit. He's, he's, He's not like a hobbit, but he hasn't oh, he's, aged. Like, he's got some Benjamin Button qualities. Yeah, he hasn't aged in, in, in 20 years. Refuses to age to everyone's chagrin. But um, talking to him, he was just so pumped and elated. And um, and, and then I text my friend, uh, I fr- my friend Eric. I, I, I tried to call him, but I couldn't get him. And he texted me back and, and his words were his words were poignant. Eric is a, a huge red, a regular at Anfield. And he goes, um, back during the bad days, we said we mightn't see us ever win a league again. These are the days, my friend. We need to get you, me, and Cormie back over to, again to Anfield for a reunion. We had those conversations around 2005, 2006. Um, even when we won the European Cup, uh, pr- probably the middle years with Benitez, um, when we, every, every season we thought it would be our season and we didn't get any closer. But even before that, before Benitez landed, certainly under Julier, we had those conversations. It'll never happen. And and now it has. Well, you see, it, it's the funny thing about, I guess, trying to reconcile this, this three-decade run for Liverpool because outside of the Liverpool bubble, which I am and many of our listeners are, soccer fans that aren't necessarily Liverpool fans, I think it's hard for us to to capture that feeling that you guys are feeling because you have it hasn't been necessarily a tortured 30 years you know you've won european cups one of the most dramatic ones in the history of of champions league you know you've won domestic trophies um so i think there's you know if you're not a liverpool fan that for whatever reason has has placed this trophy on a different pedestal than all these other trophies uh it's almost difficult for us to to kind of wrap our minds around the joy that you're feeling with this kind of tortured history narrative. Yeah, I, I, I think it's important to look at it in the context of um, Liverpool's bread and butter being winning league championships. As I mean, the six times champions of Europe, UEFA Cup winners. I mean, under Julier, we did the treble. We did the UEFA Cup. We did the two domestic cups. But um, I think the Brian Clough idea... Remember that interview we played on the podcast once where he was asked, what would you like to win every year? The European Cup or the, or the league? And he said the league because of, just because of what it meant. And Andrew, Liverpool won, up until 1990, Liverpool won 10 out of the previous 15 seasons. Right. And then nothing for 30. That is, that is a huge, huge and, and quite dramatic, uh, reversal of fortune. And, and, um, Dominance in the domestic game, dominance over Manchester United, 
our close rival, dominance in the 1980s. Don't forget in the 1980s, Andrew, the team, it, Everton were our challengers for the top of the table. So you had, you had that rivalry in the city. So you've had this, these constant tensions of always being top dog in the country and then not being, being in irrelevance. I'm currently reading um, Oliver Kay's piece in The Athletic where he breaks down this journey since 1990. And some of the seasons I've forgotten about, um, there was one season in March under Sunis who took over from Kenny Daglish, the last winning league manager. Andrew, they were three points off the relegation zone in March. I mean, the the club, the bottom fell out of the club and suddenly we're competing for Cups, the Coca-Cola Cup win in 95, obviously. And then we went to the FA Cup final in 96. And then from 96 onwards, I mean, until until 2001, it's incredible, really. Um, and the league meant everything. And now we have it back. Yep. Uh, so before we go any further, I just want to say that I don't even really... like. It's funny, the Manchester City-Chelsea match on its own was brilliant. Like, that was Break a really, for, considering we've come back from this restart and people have done nothing but complain about games, it's funny. We finally got a game that was really fun and enjoyable to watch, especially for an American fan, because, oh my God, Christian Pulisic, it's happening. Like, it's happening. But, you know, finally we get this game that was that was really, really enjoyable, and it, I have no interest in talking about it. This is an emergency podcast devoted to Liverpool and the title that they just won. So if you have anything specifically on the on the Manchester City Chelsea match, I would tell you either either get it out now uh, or save it till the end because I really this from here on out I just want to do Liverpool. Absolutely fine. Uh, I'm quite comfortable with that. I think I think I think the important thing to say is it was such a good game in terms of telling us the story of Manchester City, the devastating ability to do things like Kevin De Bruyne did. And yet the complete meltdown defensively on a couple of occasions that allowed Chelsea to win a game that um, Chelsea did have the better chances, but that City otherwise could have won uh, in terms of the way they dominated the ball. And it, it was the microcosm of the season. And um, I think it would be remiss of us, as you constantly remind me, this is indeed an American podcast. It would be remiss not to at least hear the audio of the Pulisic goal. To Lissett, picks up the loose ball and he could be in. Christian Pulisic for Chelsea, 1-0! The US international scores his second goal in two games. And it could be a massive goal for Liverpool Football Club as well. It was a massive goal. It was an incredibly huge goal, kind of one of the defining goals of the season. He nearly had a second. I don't know how he didn't get it. Kyle Walker with an incredible effort to keep that out. Maybe you would have liked Pulisic to get a little bit more on it, but that's tough. You've just rounded the keeper. You put all that effort in. It's a tough angle shot. You're just trying to make sure you get it on frame. And some, you know, sometimes you tip your hat to the defender. Kyle Walker made a brilliant play. But in the end, it was not enough for Manchester City. Their title run, as if, as if they had one this season, it comes to an end. Uh, a brilliant couple of years uh, that they had, and I'm sure they will reload and they will give Liverpool everything that they possibly have uh, in the years to come. Uh, but as for the 2019-2020 season, yes, their flame is extinguished. Let's talk Liverpool. And so I, I kind of want to go 
big picture here with you. I don't even necessarily want to look at this season because let's be honest, JJ, we've been doing this podcast now since, you know, of this season since August. And we've kind of, since almost October, we've coronated Liverpool as this year's league champions. Um, you know, so we've been talking about it all throughout the season. So I want to go bigger. Uh, and I was just kind of, you know, I was scrolling through online. I haven't written anything down, but I was scrolling online and just kind of like, in my own way, as a non-Liverpool fan, getting being nostalgic about how they've gotten to this point. Uh, obviously, you know, much of this, even though there are players that predate him, I think much of this begins with the appointment of Jurgen Klopp. And I just wonder, with this collection of players, like like this team, man for man, I don't know that they're better than Manchester City. They're not. Uh, but with this manager and his style, his connection to the players, even to the fan base, uh, he just seems to get a little bit more out of each guy, whether that's, as you like to say, emotional football, or if that's purely smarts. I mean, I was reading, uh, what was it, at BBC uh, BBC Tonight, they had a whole article about Jurgen Klopp and the way he utilizes his assistant coaches and the, the scouting department and how everything is just a well-oiled machine there. Um, so it's not just emotion with him. He's a brilliant football mind, and he's with that, he's hired other brilliant football minds to help him. And and I just don't think that this collection of players could have won with this level of ease. I think it could have been still a title-winning team. But to do it in record-breaking fashion as they're doing it, uh, I think it's a testament to the manager to be able to get more out of the sum of of the parts than what you actually have here. I I, I totally agree. And um, if you look at some of the key players over over the past few seasons, like you said, they predate the manager – I've seen players in their 30s under his coaching and his method get better. That is that is an incredible thing. Uh, he he brings in Fabinho as well, who had an excellent game. And uh, we've almost forgotten the scintillating performance Liverpool put in yesterday against Southampton. Right. No, but you, Crystal Palace, but yeah. Excuse me, Crystal Palace. Sorry, sorry. And... Um, you look at you look at someone like Fabinho, the player identification, which Michael Edwards of the backroom team should take a lot of credit for too. But it's amazing. Um, even from the first game, you you'll remember the first game in 2015 when he took over from Brendan Rodgers, and it was Tottenham away, and the running stats, how players were pressing and running harder. He put his arms around Adam Lallana when he was substituted in this great embrace, this hug. There's a collectiveness and a collective will in the press and in the way they play that I've just, I've never seen anything like it before. And you're right. His coaching method, the style of play, his connection with the city. He has connected with the city and the past and the history of Liverpool Football Club in a way that's meant the fans have bought in and he's been demanding. He's demanded lots of his players. I mean, he said to Daniel Sturridge, you know, you're going to have to feel some, imagine, you're going to have to feel some pain. You know, you have to decide between which is too much pain and what is pain you can take. How many times have we seen at Anfield, particularly in the three o'clock kickoff, where Liverpool have been struggling, struggling or lagging, and he turns around to the crowd and he starts pumping, like lifting his arms, trying to get them going. He's such a charismatic figure. He's a he's a leader, and his method has been taken on board by every player. I also think the identification of players has been excellent, Andrew. I'm not saying he's had the perfect time at Liverpool, but look at Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, and look at my reaction to signing him. This this player who hadn't even 
really established himself at Arsenal, a guaranteed starter there. You know, loads of promise. And look at the contributions he's gotten out of players like him. When we signed Genie Wijnaldum from relegated Newcastle, I, I was so underwhelmed. But look, the running, the physicality, the things he can do. Andy Robertson, 10 million from Hull. This has been, from top to bottom, a project that he has left his mark on and he has looked after every single part of it. Even the way he talked um, two years ago prior to the uh, Kiev Champions League final, he talked about um, having Muslim players on the team, how he deal with with the players who, whose faith, uh, of the Islamic faith, how they turn up early to games for Emre Chan at the time and for uh, um, Salah. And for Manny. And he goes, no, 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 this is a, he goes, this is a whole part of the collective of bringing everyone together for one cause. May seem like a simple thing. But how many managers would just think, well, look, if we're all in this together, you know, their religion doesn't matter. But that little thing makes such a difference. They arrive earlier so the boys can say their prayers. Every base covered, Andrew. And um, it's total togetherness and you see it, you see it with the club and you see it with the fan base. There's no question about that. And, you know, I was thinking about something in the Klopp era. Um, It's funny, man, because it's a game, not that I make fun of you for, but you know how we always have that kind of like fake little argument about the Liverpool Borussia Dortmund um, Europa League. uh, What was it? The quarterfinal? It was the quarterfinal. Uh, Right. And, you know, we always, you know, you said it was the biggest game of, of the day when Atletico Madrid and Barcelona had just played a Champions League semifinal. And I, to this day, I still think that you're wrong and it's an insane <laughs> opinion. But, but I will say this, in terms of the, not soccer's bigger picture, but in terms of Liverpool's bigger picture, I actually do believe that something happened that day. You know, they're down 4-2 on aggregate with 23, 24 minutes to go, and they pull it out and they find a way. And it felt like it was one of those moments where belief had been kind of reinstilled within them that, you know, whatever the message was that Klopp was pushing uh, it, it it got through um, and it felt like they became one of those teams that day that you just aren't going to count out no matter what the score, no matter, you know, and they, how many times have they kind of harkened back on that in this run since obviously against Barcelona in the semifinal last year, Uh, you know, Everton with the insane Origi goal, like, you know, all these moments along the way, they've had these moments where they've kind of had to call back to that that initial Borussia Dortmund match and be like, "Look, we're we're Liverpool. We're never out of a game." And I, that to me, it begins with Klopp. I I, I agree with you. Um, that night was was unbelievable. I'll I'll never forget it. And and that was that was his first half season, not even our three quarter season, whatever you want to call it. That wasn't his first full season at the club. It was he had just been jettisoned in, and he took this team to the Europa League final. Um, look at it even this season, Andrew. The Aston Villa game. When we're 1-0 down at Aston Villa and we've had a goal chalked off uh, from VAR and are we still creating chances? Half chances. And we equalise in the, what was it, the 87th and go on and win it later on. Like those are games we're absolutely losing in the first year, maybe year 18 months under Klopp. And certainly we're losing every time under Brendan Rodgers. But we kept doing the right thing. And I also think the commitment to the style of play, Andrew, we don't waver. The way the team plays, the press, the uh, Virgil van Dijk building from the back, um, the commitment to getting the ball out wide to our fullbacks, we don't 
Liverpool don't stop doing the right things and it bears fruit. And um, yeah, it's it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Do you want to hear from Jurgen Klopp? Of course. I think uh, I think I should set this one up. So so all the Liverpool players were in a, a hotel and it appears as if Klopp was in the same hotel in Liverpool to watch this game. And Klopp is there and he's he's interviewed on Sky alongside Graham Souness, Kenny Daglish, and I think Phil Th- Phil Thompson as well. And this is courtesy of Sky. Klopp talks for a few minutes, and then it's as if the weight of what's been achieved kind of just washes over him, and it becomes too much. No real words, to be honest. Um, I, I, it's, it's such a big moment. I'm completely overwhelmed. I never would have thought that it, that it would feel like this. I have no idea. And... Um, it's just big. Sorry, gentlemen. And yeah. um, see you. All the best. Congratulations, Jürgen. Congratulations, Jürgen. Yeah, he it, just walked off. It became too much for him. Yeah. And I, I do think, though, Andrew, he, he, he understands. This sounds. This is so cringy for for. Oh, well, whatever. We're in the moment for Everton fans and for other fans. But I do think he understands the weight of responsibility that Liverpool manager is and by the way i think you can say that without feeling bad about it like you know for example i despise the the dallas cowboys in american football but like i understand what the pressure is to have that job you know i think an everton fan or a tottenham fan like myself understands that you know there is there is the weight of history when you take that position the the collapse of the of the last Great Liverpool side under Kenny Daglish, who I was delighted for tonight. He was one of a few names that popped into my head that I was just so pleased for that this milestone has happened and it's the the dam is finally broken. Um, but the collapse of the Kenny Daglish team, Andrew, happened within a year of of Hillsborough, and Hillsborough loomed large both in the family's fight for justice and for the team for years afterwards. And uh, Steve Nicholas talked about this as well, how he was never the same player after Hillsborough and none of his team were. And they were in their late 20s going into their 30s when that happened. So you can say, hey, that was the natural end of this team, but it was accelerated hugely by Hillsborough. And and Kenny Daglish resigned because he couldn't take the weight and the burden of what had happened, the grief and the pressure of being Liverpool manager. And I do think that that has been something that's been laid on every manager since, including Brendan Rodgers, including Roy Evans, including Gerard Houllier. And Jurgen Klopp understood it. And tonight he kept repeating how he, the, the famous Shankly mantra, which is, we play for you. Shankly said, I think it was after, was it the UEFA Cup win? I can't, I'm, I'm not sure. But Shankly said um, to the Liverpool fans that it was an honour for us to play, for our players to play for you. And, and, and Klopp harkened back to that today. Great understanding of, the Liverpool, of Liverpool's club. We do this for you. This is all for you. And that's a man in touch with the fans and the history of the club. So that's kind of our look at Klopp. I want to talk a little bit about these actual players on this team. 
um, because I was thinking also, you know, obviously the hiring of Klopp was a turning point in this. Not that Brendan Rodgers didn't get them close. He certainly did. But Klopp was able to put the finishing touches on what maybe he had started. Uh, but to me, there's another turning point where the Liverpool story, even with Klopp, could have gone in a couple different directions. And it was when Philip Coutinho demanded to leave. At least to me, this was a turning point. I'll, I'll, I'll get your thoughts on it. You know, it felt like Liverpool were building something. It felt like things were headed in a positive direction. Um, and Coutinho was so pivotal uh, to that success. And for him to then kind of, uh, I mean, it seemed like it kind of happened out of nowhere. Now, Neymar left Barcelona, so it created this whole... No, uh, Coutinho this- was looking to go... Just okay. to clarify, he was looking right. to go, and he was he was making things uncomfortable. Um, and, and then you know, for him to leave and for him to have been as important as he was to Liverpool, it could have gone like that could have set them back. And I think people would have almost understood that because he was so important to them. And it didn't. It kicked them on in a different direction. And I feel like that's you know, it's not just down to Klopp's management of his players and reassigning responsibility, but like you know, roles changed. You know, Firmino became sort of like the new playmaker, like and, and things that were going to happen in attack were going to work through him. You know, there was this faith that regardless of how the fans felt about him until this season, really, but, you know, Jordan Henderson was assigned more responsibility. Um, and these guys answered the call. And, you know, it's not just them. It's, you know, Mo Salah was not, it was just not a heralded signing. Like, you know, it, he he was coming off a good season in Syria, ah, but, you know, I think people's minds were still fresh of kind of the disappointment that he was with Chelsea. It wasn't. It wasn't supposed to be the move that turned them into European and league champions. Like it just wasn't that. And I sometimes think, you know, with the emergence of Sadio Mane, uh, we'll talk about Van Dyke in a minute because he, to me, is a, is a story unto himself. Um, but I really feel like a lot of this began with Coutinho leaving and then Salah coming in uh, and really just becoming you know, finding a level that we didn't know that he had. We've forgotten it a little bit. Liverpool fans sometimes complain about him. He has these moments where he's frustrating, but we cannot downplay just how amazing of an acquisition he was. I don't think they're, and it's not, I don't think they're not here. They're not at this level, if not for him. No. And, and the foresight to see that as a, as a, as a triumvirate, as a three up front for that to, to work and to gel together. You make such a good point. Uh, I remember when Coutinho was sold, and it didn't, I remember saying to you, you said, oh man, what a blow. And I, I said to you, it, you're right, but it doesn't feel like it felt when Suarez left. It didn't feel like it, it felt when Torres left. I felt we could find a way around it. I didn't realize Firmino would be as pivotal. I didn't realize he'd operate as, as number 10 and number nine. Um, and, you know, Salah, you know, Salah hit the ground running. That's true, but you are so right. He had 16 goals, I think, and, and, and seven assists at Roma in a much wider position. And we, we couldn't have possibly, it wasn't a heralded signing. But again, like, how crucial was that to, 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 to the story we're talking about right now? Um, I think as well, he, finding a position towards the end of the 18, 19 season. So last season for Jordan Henderson, that really worked in that ca- kind of tucked in advanced right hand position. Um, I remember, I think it was first against Chelsea that he played there. Um, yeah, I. what was the question? Well, just about how this this could have gone a different way. It After- could have gone a different... Oh, oh, yeah, bringing it back to... Yeah, bringing it back to the, the selling of um, 
of Coutinho. The 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 two signings that were made, Andrew, were signings that were absolutely crucial from that money. And we've seen with FSG, and, and we may see this again, maybe we have already seen it with Timo Werner, that they're very money cautious. They aren't going to spend beyond their means. As much as you might say, well, financial fair play won't allow that, they're not going to go big. But So the Coutinho money was parceled out between Allison and Virgil van Dijk. And I will freely admit, as good as a player, I thought Virgil van Dijk was a good player. I don't think I, I waxed lyrical about him on the podcast at Southampton. I don't think I talked that much when he was at Celtic. They had their homework done and they beat Manchester City to Van Dyke. And I thought that was crucially important. And to get a goalkeeper like Alisson who shipped how many goals against you in the previous campaign, in the Champions League campaign, and get him in was crucial. And also, they got Alisson and Fabinho in quickly. Remember how quickly that that was done? Between Kiev between the Champions League final in 2018 and the start of preseason, they'd made they'd made crucial signings. The two signings of Fabinho and Allison, and we've seen how absolutely important they've been. But you're right; if that money wasn't spent in the correct way, or if it was if it was banked, what if it was just put away for a rainy day, and Liverpool were to carry on? Because don't forget, centre halves had been bought with, uh, you know, uh, Ragnar Klavan had been bought for three point five million for the German from the German league, and I know he was only a backup, but he was still bought and played against Burnley in that early season game of Klopp's second season where things were bad, and Loris Carius was bought for what five six million, you know. So there was a penny pension, I believe, that was going on, and I think um, certainly with Van Dyke was brought in. Um, and then that summer after Kiev, where they went after Fabinho, got him and got Allison. That was those were real statements of intent, and those are signs that Liverpool would not be where they are right now without them. Well, that's the thing that I give them credit for uh, is because you're right. The way Liverpool has operated, um, they are not they are not going to behave. Even if they're they're not going to behave like Manchester City, um, even Manchester United, you know with the way that they have a tendency to spend, even though Liverpool are certainly of that ilk as far as their prestige, they're just not going to behave that way. You know, they're giving opportunities to, like you say, they're, they're finding an Andy Robertson. They're going looking from within for a Trent Alexander-Arnold. You know, they're willing to do those things. Jordan Henderson was not, you know, super heralded back when he was brought into the side. So, you know, they'll do those things, but I give them credit because they recognized when it was time to switch on. You know what I mean? Like they knew, okay, we're, we're close here. You know, we've done, we've, we've gone about it our way. We haven't spent like crazy, but here we are. We're in a position now. We have the right manager and we have pieces in place. Now it's time. You know, some clubs don't like, you know, there was hell. I think Tottenham are kind of the example of that. Like it felt like they were getting close and they never quite switched on to make those moves that needed to be made to kick them to the next gear. Liverpool did it. Like it was clear as day. The goalkeeper is not good enough. It is getting in the way of us accomplishing our goals out Minulay, Carius, gone. In Becker, best available. Our center, central defense. Look at Arsenal. You know, Arsenal, we're still choosing to bring in, who was it, Dennis Suarez? Like, they're making room. Or, yeah. Like, who, I forget who it was. Was it him? Can't remember now. Uh, or Jesus Perez, something. But, like, Arsenal are making moves up front in attack when yeah. everyone, everyone with eyes, everyone with eyes and, and a brain can see that they need to fix their central defense. But they're spending money poorly. Liverpool saw no. Goalkeeping and central defense, it's not good enough. It's getting in the way of us achieving our goals. So what do they do? They spend the most money they could possibly spend on a keeper and the most that they could possibly spend on central defense. They were smart. 
they went about it in an intelligent way. And, you know, look, they're not my favorite club, uh, but I feel like I, I have to wax poetic about them because here they are. Like I said, this is a record smashing season and they did it the right way. And and they identified, look, we, we've, they saw that first season with Salah and, and Manny and Firmino and they identified this is winning time now. So we need to add, we need to bolster. We need to do it now. Me and you talk all the time, particularly in the modern game. I don't think there's going to be dynasties like United, where Alex Ferguson's going to win 13 Premier League trophies in X amount of years. I'm not sure that's going to work anymore. With the money that Manchester City have, with the potential, with the money that Chelsea even still have, with the potential money that could come into Newcastle United, the game has changed. What a weird sentence. Like to just group Newcastle in like, where are we? What's going on? And and why am I so confident they'll even spend the money right? You know, Um, but you get my point. Yeah. And, uh, but, and even, even uh, Jurgen Klopp said it, Uh, Jurgen Klopp said it. I've, uh, of course I went back to, uh, I went back to his first press conference, Andrew. And I I got this little bit, which is, um, hold on, let me pull it up. Of course I've lost it. I know I haven't. Here it is. Uh, Jurgen Klopp in his first press conference kind of setting out his stall. If we want, and if we are prepared to work for it, if you want, if you are patient enough, all these things, if you, if we want, then we can start in a very difficult league with opponents that are big and bigger and bigger maybe, but in a special Liverpool way, we can be successful. But we can wait for it, of course. But we, I don't want to say we have to wait the next 20 years and I'm sitting here again. I, I know when I'm sitting here in four years, I think we won one title in this time. I, I'm pretty sure. If not, the next one, maybe Switzerland. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure what he meant by maybe Switzerland. Was he going to go to Switzerland if they didn't win a title within that four-year period? I don't, I don't have the answers to but that's a man confident in, in – it was a confident prediction. And um, it's funny, listening back to that pre- first press conference, he asked for patience. To be honest well, with you – I mean, well, what he, had, he inherited what? They were 10th? I mean – I he, can't he remember. Knew, what, I think yeah. they were 10th. Like he, he knew that this wasn't going to happen overnight, and it didn't. I mean, they got Christ, there. But it, Christ, were we 10th? Oh, my God. I what a right. So. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, Look at you. Oh, I'm glowing, Andrew. I'm glowing. So, it's, uh, it was so funny. There's some um, some truly bitter person on Twitter who said... Uh, was it Doug? <laughs> no, Doug sent me a lovely message. Oh, good, good. Oh, lovely message. Genuine fella. No, he's good. I look forward to having more Everton convos with him in the future. No, Doug's not... If, if Doug angry tweets, it's from a place of passion, not a place of true bitterness. But this some egg on okay. <laughs> some egg on Twitter uh, just randomly got in, and and most people have been lovely. Um, and he goes, uh, I suppose, I suppose JJ is tolerable for a Liverpool fan, and then just completely trashes the team, like just goes through how how dreadful they are. So he he said that this was the podcast he'd give a swerve to, or he'd skip this one. He's probably right. Oh yeah, no, don't listen. This will be insufferable for I'd say ninety percent of you. But look, hey, look, hey, this is for tonight though. Like, this is an emergency podcast, all right. Like, this is 
if you're tuning into this right now, it's because like you're curious. To, JJ has been an unabashed Liverpool fan. Like we've made no secrets of who of where our loyalties lie. Like you can only be listening to this right now because you want to hear this guy react. Yeah, it's like a, this is a huge moment for you. Did you? What oh, did you feel? Feels so good. So you you couldn't. I mean, you didn't go to a bar or anything. Like you're you're still within the confines of of a pandemic. Well, it- what, hap- what happened was um, I had a beer in the house and we're in phase whatever here in Brooklyn. And so there's outdoor restaurant. So we, we wanted to meet a friend and do an outdoor socially distanced uh, dinner, which we did. Um, and I did that and I, I was floating on a cloud. They could have been saying whatever. Wait, but so all- were these, this wasn't a Liverpool hangout. No, Was I it- went with my girlfriend and our friend Sarah and, uh, because I knew we were doing this podcast, so I thought, I better eat something now. So I had a couple of beers at dinner, and I'm just floating. All I'm thinking about is is what's happened. And I'm dying to get back to do the podcast. So I said, I'm going to do the podcast. And the Monroe, uh, the Liverpool supporters bar in Brooklyn, which is down the street from me, is open in the constrained fashion that bars are open these days. So I think I'm going to take a trip down after this and, and have another few beers. I think that's a good idea. Just be careful. Wear a mask. I care about you. No, although, I am. Although you have the antibodies. You had the coronavirus. You're invincible. That is the wrong message to send everybody. Good I'm Lord. Kidding. I'm only kidding, everyone. No, that is not the message. We um, caution and the uh, the abundance of masks everywhere. I want to see masks on everything and everyone. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm in a weird place. Like when Liverpool won the uh, 2005 Champions League, I went out and I bought every single newspaper. And just so I had all the back pages and I could read through it, um, I'm probably going to do something like that. Tomorrow's going to be spent with a big mug of coffee tomorrow morning and just reading through online all the articles about how great we are. I mean, if not now, when? Like this is this is the moment to do that. And by the way, you know, we've made it almost 40 minutes into this podcast without discussing, you know, we've danced around the fact that there are records that they still have their eye on. And I believe that that will mean something to them. Um, so the, the points record is well within reach. They have 86 right now. Uh, a hundred is what they need to get to. They're on pace for one Oh five. Uh, it would be, I mean, we'll see what Klopp chooses to do. If he wants to play younger players uh, that, that, but I, I think, to be seen, but I I, think I, with, with seven games, Andrew, I think he's going to push on. I think that these, I think that they want this to be a statement. Um, the wins record is well within reach. They have 28, 32 is what they need to get to. Uh, both of those, the points and the wins record are from the 17, 18 Manchester City team. Home wins, they have 16. The record is 18. Away wins, they have 12. The record is 16. Uh, and the points lead over second place. The record is a 19-point is a gap, which again was the 17, 18 Man City team. Liverpool are currently 23. Uh, that is, again, another record that I would expect to fall. Seven games remain. Um, so they have clinched the title faster than any club has ever done. Manchester City again in 1718 and Manchester United in 2000, 2001. Uh, by any count, this is one of the, if not the most dominant seasons that we have seen in the Premier League era. And the fact that they have done it, um, in an era where Manchester City are this financial giant, uh, I, I think, I mean, I, for anybody who wants to to talk about, you know, the league being down this year, 
Um, there are certain elements of truth to that. I think the the middle was was much more mush than what we've been accustomed to in previous seasons. But I'm sorry, Manchester City are still Manchester City, uh, and for the gap to be 23 points right now, like I don't want to hear anything about any kind of asterisk or anything like that, any kind of knock against this Liverpool season. This team has proven beyond uh, beyond any sort of doubt that they are one of the most dominant clubs we've seen in the EPL era. Again, I, I could only echo your words about uh, Manchester City. When you think of the money available to them and the fact that under Pep Guardiola, this whole project, Liverpool stopped a three-peat. Mm-hmm. That, is, that is really kind of special and important. And the fact that I think you've got to look at this Liverpool season, this season, as a continuum of last season. Um, where they went as much as they possibly could, toe-to-toe with Manchester City, lost out by a point, went to the Champions League final, won that, to come back then and dominate the following season and reverse, I mean, blow the opposition out of the water. It's it's staggering. I did not see, I thought it would be close. I thought it would be a real battle. I did not see it being like this, Andrew. I just didn't. You know, I'm glad you brought that up about last season because I feel like, and look, I was the champion of this narrative, the Liverpool luck narrative that, you know, Liverpool, they just, like Jeff Goldblum, Liverpool finds a way. And and I would always say that there was this luck element to them and it was nauseating. However, I've been thinking more about that and I can't think of many more things that are more unlucky really, than what happened to Liverpool last season, to have been as lights out brilliant as they were and still not win the league. It must have, I mean, for a a club and for a fan base that was so tortured by not having this domestic trophy that they've been craving for, at that point, 29 years, uh, to have gotten to a point last season in terms of their point total that they would have won the league in, what, every single season except for two of them? Yeah. Uh, I mean, that, that that was a brutal blow to not have won the league last season and for them to have in no way been demoralized by it, for them to have only been motivated to make sure that they, whatever was going to happen this year, we're going to make sure that it's not close. We're not going to give anybody an opportunity to be within breathing room of us. Uh, I give them credit. And I'm, you know, you say it's hard to have dynasties. I think maybe we need to reshape what our definition of a dynasty is. Correct. Um, But I think that, I mean, they're still so young. You know, Trent Alexander-Arnold is on the verge of becoming a top five player in the world. Like, it feels like he's he's headed in that direction. Uh, like, why not? Why why should we not expect them to at least be in the top one, two, or three of the next you know three, four, five seasons? Yes, uh, I think so. I think I do think though. Um, I do think there's additions that can be made because. This is such an incredible pace. Now, look, you're expecting next season that Naby Keita is going to be even more comfortable, and 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 hope you know the hope and expectation is that he becomes a starter for the team. Uh, Minamino will feel more comfortable in his role, more comfortable with what Klopp is asking of his players. But I do think there's space for improvement. There always is, and if you look at if you look at the really good teams in the Premier League over the past, well, I'm going to go a bit, we'll say during the Sir Alex Ferguson era, you know, Fergie's ability to look at a team and know when to swap out a few players every season 
and get reinforcements in and get key players in. I know it's a different era right now, but I do think Liverpool will, will probably have to do that. But you are right. Like when you look at Trent Alexander-Arnold, I, I haven't spoken enough about, you, you talk about luck. I don't know if I want to put it down to luck. Liverpool have a good academy. Clearly there's, we saw last night, Nico Williams probably coming into the fold pretty soon, but it is luck to happen upon what might be an era-defining player. A player who, never mind era-defining, has said he feels he can redefine the fullback position. Kind of has. Well, that may not be fair. I mean, he's not the first. No, why? That's not, that's not, I mean, in terms of look look at the assists from fullback, look at the range of passing, look at the way he can change the point of attack. Look at the way he can set the tone from fullback. Incredible. So um, we haven't spoken yet about Virgil Van Dijk. We should probably do that as well. Yeah, I mean, I was kind of, I was kind of touching on that with the idea of, you know, everything that happened after Coutinho, and you know that was, like we said with Becker, but certainly Van Dijk. That was kind of the missing piece. They were not good enough there. Lovren, we had seen enough of him to know it's just not, it's not going to happen with this guy as one of the starting center halves for this club. Uh, And they knew it. And he's, I mean, would you say he's the best player on this team? I think it's, it's, it's tough to sign that, that one position, but if you were going to, he would be in probably in the top two. (laughs) I mean, it's for me, well, I, I think the best way to look at it is imagine the team without him. Can you? I not mean, really. Not not on this point total. No, not celebrating not really. with seven games to go. I mean, it, I I would also note that uh, Joe Gomez coming into the side last night and filling in for Matip at centre half is an unbelievable luxury to have. He was quite magnificent last night as well. And um, and clearly can can play in either one of the fullback positions or centre back. But back to Van Dyke, I think if if you don't have him, you don't have this success. He's so outstanding. He's so dominant in an era. And you can pull me up in this, Andrew. In an era where I don't think there's that many dominant centre backs, he has been head and shoulders above everybody else. Uh, yeah, he's. I mean, he's clearly the best at that position in. Certainly in the league, maybe maybe in Europe, uh, and in that case, you could probably say the world. He's he very well might be the best center back right now. Out well, there. I I certainly think he is, and and also it's not just about the defending. It's it's having a guy who can in this modern era be comfortable on the football, pass it into oh, midfield, yeah. get things going. I still one of my favorite moments from the Klopp era is he, against Bayern Munich. And just leathers one down the field. Uh, I say leather one. Floats this wonderful pass and puts it onto Sadio Mane's foot for the uh, for that goal against against Munich in in the Allianz Arena. Yeah. Ah. No, he's a brilliant player. One of the last questions I wanted to ask you: when whenever a title is won, I'm always curious to hear from a fan of that team and ask, like, who are the statue guys? You know, like a title will get won, and you'll uh, like they'll put up a statue. Uh, of like a certain icon from that team, but there's not, they're not putting statues up of everybody. Like who are, who's the guy or the guys from this team that you go to Anfield in 25 years and you take your kid to the, Oh, there's the blank statue. We got to right. picture there. Oh, wow. 
while it's, he's going to be a Premier League and European champion winning captain, I think that's I think Jordan Henderson might be a step. Really? Right? He's the step. So, I mean, for me, this is Klopp's team. He's the mm-hmm. face of the team. Klopp is the statue guy. Yeah, I guess if we had to assign a player, it would be Henderson for you. <sighs> that is so difficult. That's so difficult. Because they're not that you're right. Because like it's well, not that kind. Of, it's such a team. That it's, it, it really is. I mean, we haven't spoken. Have we mentioned Andy Robertson? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we have. Right. Okay. Look at the fullbacks. Why you're you saying th- he's the guy? No, but well, okay. So, so an iconic guy who was a, a Liverpoolian and who has come into this side and dominated the side and and left his mark on this team is Trent Alexander Arnold. That's your guy. If you're go- if that's your statue guy, if you're going for someone who is a icon of the city, but this is such a team that I almost think you need to spend an awful lot of money on a lot of bronze, and hopefully not the guy that did the Ronaldo statue. Oh, bring him back! <laughs> and and you have some kind of group statue with these guys because, like you said before, and this isn't actually a knock, like. Name name a name a player in the Manchester City midfield midfield who's better than Jordan Henderson as an all round footballer. You can probably say Fernandinho, Kevin De Bruyne, you know. But as you said, this is such a unit, a complete and total unit that um I I like this season, Sadio Mane, how amazing has he been? He's unbelievable. You're right. I, I I'm asking you because I don't know. To me it's Klopp. But like that's an easy that's the easy way out because he's the manager. Well, okay. Well, then I'll go for he's, Trent Alexander. He's also, not just the man. Like he's he's a dominant figure. You know, when he's in a room, like everyone is aware. He wants to be that guy. He is the leader. He's the face of this team and this era for them. He so is he, very he charismatic. Fit. Yes, he is. That's the word. I feel he could be a cult leader. <laughs> you would probably follow anything he said right now. Emotional football. Emotional football. Oh, well, I'll tell you what. I, I, I've i been a good friend to you. I'm going to go take a shower now for about an hour and a half and just bathe myself with, with Brillo to uh, to get – because this, this is as nauseatingly nice as I can get. But I, listen, one of, one of the strong points of this podcast is we was love last you. summer. Think of, Exactly. And think, think of what we had to endure last summer, Andrew. You know? I mean – I know, and yet that I was, feel like it almost brought us even closer. I I think it brought us closer, um, and and I also think that it brought a lot of fans to the podcast as well. That you know, people who may have thought we were just these two, how would I put it, two guys, and and it was purely adversarial, and it was almost manufactured that we didn't like each other, and there was no, we loved each other. And we went to the Champions League final together. Do people think that that we don't? That's that we don't. We've, like we've, each other? That's, that's awful. I don't want anyone to think that. Some, well, pe- some people. Here's what I'll say to you right now. Next time Liverpool wins a title, you've learned your lesson. You're not going to call your dad next time. I'll be your daddy. You call me. I'll be daddy. I'll say the things that you want to hear. Uh, I'll make it a beautiful experience for you. Uh, we'll we'll hug through Facetime. I think it'll be everything that you didn't get tonight from your real dad. No, my my, my real dad was great. He just kind of wanted to drink in the moment from Liverpool on, on the television. How dare you? You'll never be my daddy. However, what you are, 
what you are morphing into is what? Screech from Saved by the Bell. I hate my face right now. I what, what has happened? I don't want to look at myself. Uh, and I have this wedding coming up for my sister this weekend. Uh, my hair right now is a disaster. I thought that it was going in a good place as a it couple, was. It's gone too far. Something's gone wrong. I'm gonna go. I, I'm gonna shave my beard now because this is as long as it's ever been. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what to do with any of this. I can't get a haircut. You got to get some product. Hair. You got to get some product in that hair, Andrew. It's uncanny. And and, I don't. I don't know. It's it's gonna be. It's gonna ruin the wedding. I'm afraid that it's gonna di- it's gonna distract people because I'm the officiant. People are going to be distracted. They're going to be horrified. Uh, my kids barely recognize me. They're afraid of me. Um, it, you're right. It's everything you're saying is right. I don't know if Screech is the way I would have gone. He was always clean shaven, although not maybe not later in life. He, he <laughs> maybe it's maybe it's later in life Screech I'm yeah. thinking about. <laughs> well, I will say this was this was enjoyable. I enjoyed experiencing. I mean, this is something you've been waiting. You, you were alive for the last title, but how well do you actually remember it? What were you six? Uh, I was seven years of age, and I don't really remember it because that summer of 1990 was when I I I I really got into soccer as a young person. Watching, like I told, I've told you before, I didn't grow up in a soccer household per se. And Ireland went to the World Cup, and that's what sucked me in. So the following season, the 1991 season, where everything went wrong, Kenny left, Arsenal won the league. That was my first kind of season creeping towards Liverpool. And then by 1992, I was a paid-up member of, of the Liverpool fan club. So I don't properly remember 89-90. Not really. Well... Then we experienced your first time together. That <laughs> that is world. the creep. That is the creepiest way to leave it, Daddy. Right. <laughs> but before we go, Andrew, oh, I, was yeah. thinking, I was thinking maybe uh, maybe you could uh, play this one at the wedding. Oh yeah. Your sister could come down the come down the aisle to that. You've earned this. We'll let this song take us out. Congratulations, my friend. Love you, brother. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Come on, you Reds. Walk on. Did you know Geico's now offering an extra 15% credit on car and motorcycle policies? That's 15% on top of what Geico could already save you. So what are you waiting for? Your teenager to help around the house? Okay, Mom, I emptied the dishwasher, vacuumed the basement, and folded the sheets out of the dryer. Wait, what? Oh, and next, I'm going to clean Mitten's litter box. Are we in some kind of prank show or something? 
That's a camera, isn't it? There's never been a better time to switch to Geico. Save an extra 15% when you switch by October 7th. Limitations apply. Visit geico.com for details.